Welcome to the Gateways Beyond International Podcast, featuring inspirational teaching from our ministry bases in the nations. For more information, please visit us online at gatewaysbeyond.org. We have the opportunity as we travel to different nations and speak in a whole variety of contexts. People want to know, there's a greater hunger to know more about this messianic expression of faith. And as we go, we find people from all different streams of the body of Messiah that are wanting to know, can you tell us about the biblical feast, about Shabbat, about Messianic Jewish life? What, you know, and when you grow up in something, it's just natural to you. You know, and you don't always, you know, process the full meaning of it. And so recently I've been particularly challenged in this area because I've been thinking, I don't want to just impart something that's been my routine in my life growing up, but I want to, I've been challenged by the Holy Spirit, go deeper to get my heart that you have something of life to impart to people. Actually, tomorrow we're going to be uh, preaching uh, an introduction to the biblical feast in a vineyard church here in Washington state. And, uh, and th- there's just new hunger for these things that w- in the different places that we go. And so I've been particularly engaging myself in, in, in the Sabbath and what, what the Lord is speaking concerning Shabbat. And I just want to share some thoughts with you this morning because probably uh, like myself, it's been something that's familiar that we've celebrated for years and years. Some of you for all your life and others have come into it over the last few years. But I believe that there is so much richness that God has for us that as we dig in, that he brings new life to us. And uh, I've, been, I've been challenged. I've just been uh, kind of eating it up. And as I've been reading the scriptures and saying, Lord, I want to know more. What's your heart? and What's your intention in this area? So I want, I want to share a little bit about that with you this morning and pray not that this would just be a teaching with, with words and information, but there would be a challenge of the Spirit of God in, in our hearts together to go deeper into the meaning and the life of what the Shabbat is for us. And that some things that may have even been um, old patterns of thinking that God would allow them as yokes to be broken off and release us into the freedom of his original design and the future that he has for us uh, that we look forward to with hope and expectation. Hallelujah. (laughs) We... um, Growing up in a family that have given their lives to serve the Lord in the nations, we lived in a whole bunch of different contexts. Uh, um, India, Greece, Cyprus, the UK. That was a real foreign one for us from, you know, as Americans. And uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, you have different kinds of uh, cultural situations. And some that you think are challenging uh, aren't as challenging as others. But no comment on that. But um, we, lived, we, we lived in these different cultural settings and all. And most of the time we were involved in, in ministering in a predominantly Gentile context as a Jewish family. And so that meant that in order to live out our heritage, to live out our calling as a Jewish family, we had to be particularly um, focused on that. Some things were easier than others. But what happened was basically our family expression became the strength because often we weren't in a community that would celebrate those things and we would bring teaching and sharing, but it would take time. And, uh, and, and so the Shabbat became really the, the nucleus for a, a gathering and, and, and as a family. And every week our Arab Shabbat meal would be the time that we would have no other options. I mean, the, every, every other 
invitation and other things. That was all closed out. It was hard for me in my teenage years. All my friends wanted to go out on Friday nights, but no, we were at home with the family. I appreciate that now. At the time, I didn't understand it. Um, but, but that was the context that I, that I grew up in, really seeing the Sabbath as the center of our Jewish expression. Some of the feasts and all are very difficult to celebrate just as one family. And, uh, and, and we did our best in uh, India and in other places to do that and to live that out. But Sabbath was always something that was extremely special and an opportunity for us to bring others around our table and to teach them of, of the ways of the Lord and that they could receive a richness from celebrating the, the Shabbat uh, together with our family. And so let's, let's go back a, a little bit and, and start with this thought that God has given time to us as a gift. It's amazing the pressure in this Western context that most of us live in concerning time. Time is fleeting. Time is money. Time, you know, I'm busy. I'm under, people are under the pressure of time all the, you know, all the time. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it, it, it's, it's almost like we're living under this, this tyranny, you know, uh, of the clock ticking. All the time. But yet, as we look at the scriptures, we can see from Genesis 1 when God first spoke into creation and that he separated light from darkness and then he called the light day and the darkness night. And it was evening and morning the first day and God said it was good. He was creating a medium for the heavenly to encounter the earthly. He was creating something God who existed before time and he's above and beyond time created time as the place where the uncreated God could meet with his created ones. Human beings, the pinnacle of creation. All the other creation was good, but when he created man, it was very good. And so he created time as a gift for us. When we think about it in this perspective and we want to uh, sanctify the Sabbath, when we want to set it apart as holy, we realize the gift that it is, that at the place that we're at, is that we get to meet with God. Time becomes not just a burden to us, but it actually becomes the place where we can encounter the living God. And, uh, and so we need to see that from the very beginning. But then he set apart special times. And when we think about the feasts, as we're entering the fall feast season now, we think about these annual, you know, we're based on the agricultural um, uh, calendar of, of Israel at the giving of the Torah. But before that, at the very woven into the fabric of creation was the Shabbat. As God, by his own example, created the seventh day as a day of rest. And he gave it as a gift for his people by his example. The, the feast and the Shabbat are fixed points in time where we get to encounter and to meet with the living God. So it is a gift for us. And if we could, for a moment, come out of the burden of the clock. If we could come out of the burden of our appointments and our schedules and the Blackberry and the iPhone and our calendars ringing and the, and the roast that's in the oven Oops. and uh, the clock that's on the back wall. No, I'm just joking with you. <laughs> just testing our you know, religious spirit here. <laughs> no, if we could begin to just see that it's not so much a burden as it's an opportunity to meet with God. It's an opportunity for us as, as human beings, as, as people, to encounter the divine. 
It's amazing. The God who is outside of time, who's above time, wants to meet face to face. He wants to meet in an intimate way with his people. And so he gave us calendar. He gave us time as the medium to do that. He gave us highlights, high points in the calendar throughout the year that are known as the feasts of the Lord. But every week, he gave us the Sabbath. He gave us the Shabbat as a high point in our week. And what a gift from God it is. And sometimes our, our, in our human nature, we look to even the Sabbath as a burden. Because we think, well, I mustn't do this and I must do that. And in my busyness, I've got to this. Ah, it's Friday night already. You know, and we come under that pressure. But I believe that there's something that the Lord wants to impart to our hearts, even this morning, that releases his delight It releases his joy in our hearts that we can come into fresh encounter with him. I'm up for that. How about you? (laughs) Hallelujah. To step out from under that frenetic busyness. You know, in in the West, it's almost like a pride issue. Because we we minister in different contexts where, you know, time really does not have the same value or meaning. And uh, the meeting starts when everyone's there. You know, so it's not so much a burden for them. They're, they have the other challenges. But, uh, but here, it's, you know, when we talk, how you doing, brother? How, how's it going? How's your week been? It's almost like we feel like we need to justify and give worth to ourselves by saying we're busy. Have you noticed that? That the language of busyness is in our mouth all the time. How have you been doing? Oh, man, I've been so busy. And whether we've been really busy or not, some of us have and some of us haven't to the same extent. We use that language to to try to show that we have worth, that there's value to our life and to what we're doing. And often because we don't really know where we're going and we're not living in the hope and expectation of what's on offer from God, we have to fill in the gaps. And so we talk the language of busyness. And can we, just, can we just start to be aware of that and leave it out of our vocabulary? I know I fall into it. As someone who is supported uh, you know, by churches and by congregations and by individuals, sometimes when I come to meet them, I feel like I need to, to tell them all the good things that I've been doing. And, I, and, and rather than relating man to man. In that relating in, in my heart, who I am, what God's speaking to my life, how I can be a blessing and encouragement. There is a, a yoke of busyness. There is a yoke of pressure from time that we need to come out from underneath. Yeshua said, come to me, you weary, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take that. Receive that from Yeshua. He came and he just, the, you know, the teachers of the law, the scribes, every sphere of life in Israel was trying to catch him out. Is he really the Messiah? They were trying to trick him by his words. And he would just continue to turn the tables over and over again. The rabbis at the time, you know, they spoke about the yoke. That was their, their teaching. That was how they expressed the halakha, the interpretation of the Torah and the scriptures. And so a particular rabbi would ra- rise up as a great teacher and he would come under the yoke of that rabbi. And Yeshua said, come to me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He was putting a whole different thing upon them. What he put, that yoke that he put on them, released them to be the people that God had called them to be. Released them to be able to partner with him. A yoke usually was for two. 
When you're yoked together, and even that word is used often with two come together. If we're speaking of a pair of oxen, that's one thing. But I just imagine when he says that, that he's inviting us into partnership with him. Come to me, my yoke is easy. He's going to bear the weight of it. When we're walking with him, when we're working with him, when we're resting with him, it's easy and light. Come out from the tyranny of the urgent. Come out from the busyness of our day to be free to move. And then we can say, in you I live. In you I move. In you I have my being. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. I'm going to go with you, Yeshua. Hallelujah. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. That's good. That's right on the moment. (laughs) Thank you, Father. Father, forgive us for the pride that we enter into when we feel like we have to confess certain things to give value and worth to our lives. Lord God, of busyness, of frenetic activity, Lord God, we want to come into a place of rest on this Shabbat today and partner with you and move with you today. The Shabbat, it stands at the end of one week and at the beginning of the next. And it provides a bridge between past present, and future. It gives us the opportunity to slow down and remember. The faithfulness of God in the past week, it releases thanksgiving in our heart on a day like this that we come together to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. But it also should produce anticipation and expectation in our hearts for what God is going to do as we embrace His yoke in the next week. It's a, it's a bridge between the different periods of time, past, present, and future. But it's also a bridge, and this is what I want to highlight today, between two great eras, two great um, events in the story that we find ourselves in. The story that started at creation and that goes to the new creation. And the Shabbat, it stands every week as a reminder, looking back to creation at God's original intent and design, but it also points to the new creation. It also points to the new heavens and the new earth where we know there won't be crying. There won't be the burden. We know that the fullness of the promise of God will be reality for our lives. It will be heaven upon earth. That fills my heart with excitement. That fills my heart with hope. I long for that day. I want to go back And I want to understand his original design before sin entered the earth. But I also want to know not just what's a fix or the band-aid, but when God restores, when he brings perfect restoration in the whole earth, that it's something even better because he breathes it, because he declares it, because he creates it anew. And that's the new creation. That's the hope that we live in in that day. And so Sabbath reminds us of that. Every week as we come together at Shabbat, we remember the past week and what we experience. We remember in Thanksgiving and we thank Him for what His faithfulness produces hope. But it also points back to creation and it points us forward to the new creation when heaven and earth come together. This is our portion as the people of God. If it's just to get to the next week, we're missing out on something. We're living short-sighted. There is good news at the end of the story. It is happily ever after. Even though it's not popular to make movies like that anymore, it's not popular to write stories like that. The story of this book is good news that he wins, that he, he is overcomes, and that his original 
Amalekite somehow in his majesty and somehow in his genius, he takes all the failings of man and how sin has affected the world and he chooses a scenario to set up for a glory that will go to himself that no man can understand. It seems like foolishness to us, but somehow in his grand design of things, all glory goes to God and he restores to perfect order what he originally set out to do in the earth. Fellowship between God and man. Glory going to the Lord. Worship going to the Lord forever and ever. This is a great hope to live in. Thank you, Lord. And so we look back at a garden named Eden. And Eden is delight, right? The name of that garden was called delight. It was when man walked with God in the cool of the day. He talked to him as a man talks to a friend. My heart longs for that. I I find myself, when I'm worshiping the Lord, I think, what was it like? Do you you, you ever take time to think about, what was it like to live without the effect of sin in the earth? To live walking freely with the creator of the universe. In the cool of the day. I mean, just the way it's expressed sounds amazing. In the cool of the day, God would come and walk with Adam. And there's something of a, a longing in my heart to experience that. You know, when God formed Adam as red dust and he, put, and, he, and he made his body into a form and he wasn't a living being yet, but then he came down to Adam and he breathed into his nostrils. At that point, when man became a living being, he was face to face with God. When man became a living being, he was right there in that face to face place with God. And there's something inside of us, even if it's long asleep, there's something inside of us that cries out to be restored to union with God in that way. And Sabbath, once a week, reminds us of that. It reminds us of God's original design. And there's hope in our hearts. And when he says, separate this day as holy to me. It's not just about the do's and the don'ts, but he's saying, I want to remind you of what I intended in the beginning, and I want you to live out of that with expectation about what I'm going to do. In the meantime, we live our life forward. We live our life in pursuit of that, of anticipation of being fully restored. Maybe I'm not experiencing the fullness that's to come. Definitely I'm not. But my life is orientated in that direction. I'm not just waiting. I'm not just biding time here on earth. Sabbath is a gift to us to remember the heart of God for mankind. Thank you, Lord. So time is holy. It's a gift from God. Secondly, in, in the idea that I wanted to bring across is that it is a time for delight. On the seventh day, God... It said it, when he had finished the work that he had done, he abstained from his work and he entered his rest. And God created rest. And that word rest means a, uh, it's not just a passive word. It doesn't mean to just stop working, but it, it talks about uh, joyous repose. It talks about stillness and peace. It talks about Delight. You could sum up that word rest in delighting in God. That is our portion. God didn't need to take a break. When he gave us the example, there was nothing of God that was emptied and spent when he created the heavens and the earth. 
We don't believe like, like some that God invested himself into to nature, you know, and the now nature is to be worshipped. No, he, he, it was the, an expression of who he was and his creativity of his love and all that he is. He didn't, he didn't spend himself. He didn't need to take a nap. I look forward to naps. I'm at the, I'm starting to get to the age where nap is like a great word right now. And with our, and with our schedule and traveling in different places and time zones, we've just flown from Europe and coming in. And right now my brain's telling me I should be asleep. And when are you eating and all these things? But you know, I like napping. I like resting. But what we're invited to on the Sabbath is far more than that. It's coming back to that face-to-face place with God. It's that place of delight. Living in delight. That I'm fully satisfied in the light of your face. There's one day that I'm going to set apart that I might know you more that will help to give me the, 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 a, a new source of strength to enter my week. What an amazing gift. I think about as a musician, when, uh, when I first started, you know, to, to learn to, to play the guitar, you know, it was everything was concentrated on chords and strumming. And, uh, and I was trying to do the different elements, get both hands working together. And it w- there was such an intensity and focus in that, that you, don't, you just kind of keep driving and keep going. And, and your music kind of just, everything has the same emphasis, on it, you know, change chord, you know, strum up, down, up, down, up, down, like that. And it's not pleasant. But as you grow as a musician, you learn that there's different impulses. You learn that there's different ways to express. And that what gives beauty to rhythm and that makes it pleasing to our ear, what gives beauty even uh, uh, to a melody is the rests in between the notes. It's the, it's the places where you breathe in as, as, you're, as you're preparing for the next part. And in music, it, it gives us that, that example of what the Sabbath is in our week. It's that place where you, put, you, know, you play that phrase and then you come to the silence to be able to appreciate that, but it creates attention the way the notes came and you stop to what's coming next. As it is in music, so it is with our life. That the Sabbath is that repose. It's that time of joy where we look back at what's just happened and we anticipate what's to come. Rest for us is, it's not so much a passive thing, but we're leaning in to the next thing that's coming. As we move forward with the Lord. One of, uh, one of my... Um, teachers, and when I was in Bible school and, and in my life, and a mentor, somebody I look up to is Dr. Daniel Juster, and he's one of uh, the fathers in the Messianic movement, and he, he always, you know, taught us to, as we looked into the significance and the meaning of the feast, he said, you know, you need to, to unpack it in the three different significant time periods. He would say, what was the meaning and significance of the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai? What was the significance of fulfillment in the life of Yeshua when he came that you find in the feast? And in the age to come, at the end of the age, what are... And so as we approach the fall feast, we, we all know that these are the ones that speak of the, the second coming, as Highland was sharing earlier, the, of, the, of the age to come. And it, this is my favorite time of the year. I, I, I love it because it produces fresh faith in my heart for, for what's coming, what our future. It's a bright future. It's a hope-filled future. Amen. And so, so as we look at the, the Sabbath, at the giving of the Torah, 
It's something very interesting because when the ten words were given, when, when the ten commandments were given on Sinai, um, the, the, where the, the, the commandments concerning Sabbath are kind of placed in the middle. If you think about it, the first three have, have to do with how we relate to God. And, uh, you know, and, and, and our relationship to God. Then you have the Sabbath. And it, once again, it's like the Sabbath is creating this bridge that we've talked about. The bridge in our week and the bridge in salvation history between the Garden of Eden and the Garden City of the New Jerusalem. And so the sa- Sabbath there is, it, it becomes a, a bridge for us. And the second, the second half of the Ten Commandments has to do with how we interact with our neighbor, how we deal in society, how we take our love for God and express it for others. And so it, it is a bridge for us. There's two different, in the Torah, two different um, renderings of the Ten Commandments, and both of them place a different emphasis on the Sabbath for us. One of them, the first one, is found in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 10. Let's take a look at it. Starting from verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And in this, in this rendering in Exodus 20, it points back to creation. It speaks of God's original design as I've been referring to already. Delight, pleasure, friendship with God. This was what was on his heart from the very beginning, from creation. The Sabbath predates the giving of the Torah at creation. It's something that's applicable, I think, in the fabric of how the whole world is held together because it was there in that first creation week given by God. There is life, meaning, fullness for that. And this is not to put a heavy thing on people who are not Jewish. It's not to put a heavy thing. It's a gift. It's a gift from God in time that we might be able to do these things that we're talking about. So it's not to put people under something, but it's for people to be raised up to something new in God. And then Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let's look at this other explanation of the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Chapter 5, verse 12. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Now, verse 15, the reason. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In this, in this uh, verse and context, it's to remember the Exodus. It's to remember how God formed Israel as a nation, that he stretched out his power in 
front of the nations of the earth uh, to Egypt, which was the one that was risen up as a power at that time, humiliated the gods of Egypt, brought Israel out to the foot of Sinai, and there, by manifesting his presence and giving his word, he formed them into a nation. Remember that I'm a God who provides for you. Remember that I'm the God who delivered you out of the land of your bondage. And we, re- and we can apply this to our life as well. And we could say, thank you, God, for what you've brought me out of the effect of sin. Thank you, God, that I was once a slave, but now I'm a free man. Thank you, God, that I was once under this yoke. And we, there's a challenge to us in this, is that we remember the work that Yeshua has done for us. Sometimes the old way of thinking tries to creep back in. Sometimes we start to act like slaves rather than sons of God. We, 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 sometimes we fall back into a mentality when it's just what we're commanded to do rather than that we have the freedom to worship God. As he said, Moses said, let them go into the wilderness they might worship the Lord. Let them go so that they could express their worship to God. We have the freedom to come together on the Sabbath and to worship the God to commit as a community of faith. What a privilege from God. No longer slaves. No longer servants. Free men. Free women. We are a people that are free before the Lord. Thank you, God, for your work in our life. In Exodus 31, the Lord says the Sabbath is to be a special sign of the covenant between God and Israel. In, and also in that same passage, there's the introduction of the six-day um, work week that before what wasn't known in the nations. There's something very uh, humane even that, that speaks today of, of the heart of God for humanity. To be able to, that they would not work and work and work and toil and strive, but there will be delight for every man. Even the animals, even the strangers in the gates, even the servants had this day to be come into joyful repose, to enter into delight. What an example for society. And we look back sometimes and we say it was so primitive. And yet... Are we living under this tyranny of time in our life? That Although we say that we're free and we have abundance and we, we're free to do, but we live under a pressure that we are driven like slaves by invisible things. You are freed men. You are freed women. We have liberty through the work of Yeshua. Live in that way. Live in that light. To truly be free, we have to understand, have a right understanding of work. You see, God placed man, he placed Adam in the garden before sin entered into the garden. And he said, tend to it, cultivate it. He gave work for Adam to do. Before sin entered the garden, before Adam's sin, work was good like everything else. It was the curse of the sin of Adam that brought toil and sweat and a burden in that way. But work is good. Work is is an example of the heart of God to creatively give out of our lives, to, to be fruitful, to multiply, to be an extension of the nature and character of God in the earth, to cultivate, to tend to the earth, to see things become fruitful and grow. And often we look at work as this burden, but you are free. You are free. 
You've come out from underneath the curse of Adam's sin through the shed blood of Yeshua. And now we can enter into our vocation and we can enter into our calling with this understanding that we're freed men. And so to live in joy, not just on the Sabbath, but the Sabbath informs our future week. The Sabbath speaks to our future week and says, you're a freed man. How are you going to tend to the things that he's given you this next week? Sometimes we do things we don't have to, but there's a difference in our attitude. There's a difference on the inside when we live in that uh, Sabbath delight. We live in that Sabbath understanding. We are freed men. We're going to go back to that original creative expression. You are creative beings. To, you know, that, that your, your work isn't something that lulls the, the uniqueness of your character and your personality to sleep. But rather, even, even if your cubicle or your job doesn't, isn't telling you that, there's a greater truth inside that springs up out of the Word of God inside of our hearts. The, 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 the validity that God's Word is true that says, I am a freed man. I'm going to give myself without the effect and burden of sin to the job that God has given me to do here on earth. You are free. So at the giving of the Torah, we, we learn these things. Secondly, if we look at this next period of time, it's when Yeshua came. He came and He fulfilled the Sabbath. He came and brought the greatest meaning to it. He is the greatest spokesperson on the Sabbath. He speaks a better word. He speaks of better things concerning the Sabbath. He's the one that I, I want to take my inspiration from. His teachings concerning the Sabbath are the primary ones to inform my life. I love my Messiah. I love the work that He has done in my life. And I'm so thankful. And He speaks about the Sabbath in in the Gospels we read in the New Covenant. He gives us this ability to enter into a life that's rest and repose and joy and delight in Him. Yeshua's teaching concerning the Sabbath was from three simple things that he said in the Gospels, and we're going to take a look at them and see how we can apply them to our own lives. Let's look at Mark chapter 2 and verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Often our approach to the Sabbath is how Can we come into alignment with that? But it's actually coming back to this idea that the Sabbath is a gift to us. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. We have to get the order right in this. This is a gift. He gave time in this high point in our week. This, This pinnacle of our week is a gift for God's people to be able to encounter God and to see Him afresh and in a new way. In our human nature, I think it's easier, but it's still erroneous. It's, it's still a wrong perspective to define how we observe the Sabbath simply by what not to do. As freed men, as free women, the people living in the new covenant, living under the teaching, the yoke of Yeshua that says, come to me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's not only focus on what we're not to do, but let's look at a, from a higher perspective. 
What is it that he's calling us to, to do? What is on offer from the Lord? For me, I can tell you the way that my life is uh, structured and all and the administrative tasks of my life, I had to put things in place. I'm not going to open my email program on my computer on the Sabbath because that takes me out of that doesn't I, I separate my um, my mind, even though I'm resting and not at the office, my mind is still going and not living in Sabbath at that time. And so I say, okay, no Sabbath. And then for my wife, I, I want her to, to be with me and that we're on this journey on the Sabbath together. So I say, we're not going to do any laundry, you know, in, in, in our house. And we're not going to do this or, we're, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, we, and each of us come up with our own interpretation. And that's an easier way to go. And that has value and meaning. But there's something greater to aspire to. There's something greater, and that's what is on offer from the Lord. If we're only focusing on the things we're not to do, we're going to miss out because we're living under, okay, well, I can't spend money, so we can't go out to eat, but then it means my wife has to cook something, you know, and, and we're not living in joy. We're not living in that peaceful repose, that delight with God. But what is it that he has on offer to us? What is it that he's extended to us? Face-to-face encounter, remembering creation, looking forward to the future, living as creative beings, giving expression to the gifts that God has placed inside of us. Maybe it means that the Sabbath is a time when we feed the, 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 um, as an act of worship the giftings that God has given within us that aren't expressed in our, in our work week. But we have uh, time to be able to paint or to write or to do other things that is in and of itself beautiful and it's holy and it's an act of worship before God because he placed it within you. And when you express it, it gives glory back to the creator. And that, so we begin to think, well, what's on offer from the Lord? The opportunity to gather together as the family of God. It's not just, oh, we've got to get ready by 1030 to be at service. It's no, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. It's that we can gather together and that we can be with God's people and testify of his goodness in our lives the past week. That we can look as we, as, as we have the opportunity to, to, to share in the ancient liturgy and the prayers that our people have proclaimed over centuries. That we're saying we are part of a people with a calling. We are part of a people with a destiny in God that he has made for his own special purpose to demonstrate something to the world. Your name is Beit Tikva, house of hope. Let me tell you something. Living out the deeper meaning of the Sabbath, you stand in intercession for this city. If you can see it, you stand in intercession because it's God's living out from the higher purpose and the higher expression of the Sabbath. You are testifying to creation. You are testifying to the new creation. You're saying we're not coming under the spirit of this age where people are driven to do and to perform and and to measure up to certain things. Coming uh, out from underneath that burden of the time clock, you know, is constantly over our heads. But rather, we are standing in a priestly capacity when we gather together to be a light to our city and to proclaim the God of Israel is alive today that he didn't change his mind he had a purpose from the beginning and he will perform it in the future it will be accomplished I don't know I don't know if when he's coming I feel like it's sooner than it ever was before but I'm living my life pointed in that direction 
The king is coming. He's coming for his reward. The king is coming and he will establish his throne in the earth. Heaven will come to earth. There will be a new creation. There is a new Jerusalem that's coming down. We're not going away. We're not just living life. We're not biding time on the planet. He created me for purpose. He created me for destiny. And Sabbath, the Shabbat, prophesies it testifies it's a testimony in your community when you set it apart to the lord to live in this way imagine with me for a moment if you took some of this inspiration from today and next week you said god what is it that you placed within me as a creative being what is it you place in my life that i'm not fully living out but i want to give myself to exploring that this next week this next uh, shabbat next week after the service That I'm going to go and begin. And then ideas come. Inspiration from the Holy Spirit comes. You begin to feel fulfilled in who you are in God. What would happen? How would that affect your work life? How would that affect your family, mothers and fathers, when you live in that reality? How would that affect you as as we live according to this higher design from the Lord? I believe that if we could catch a hold of this, it would have a ripple effect of influence that would reach far beyond one congregation, one family, one expression of the body of Messiah. It would begin to touch society simply by living according to the gift that's offered from the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm getting some ideas while I'm speaking of things that I want to give myself to that I want to express in that way. It's about delight. It's about celebration of beauty. It's about creativity, living according to the beauty and the goodness of God. Each Sabbath is a weekly foretaste of the millennial kingdom in which the curse of Adam's sin is lifted once and for all. When I... We minister a lot in Ethiopia... And, and that's one of the expressions. When you start to preach good, you'll hear people, and I, it freaked me out the first time I heard it, but you hear people while you're preaching, they just start going, oh. it's like, wow, that, those words are sweet on my mouth. Those words are sweet to me. And, you know, I was thinking they, you know, they had shredded chicken for lunch or something, and, you know, and, and they, they had food in their teeth that they were all trying to get out. I'm like, man, this is distracting. And then someone told me, I was like, woo, I was preaching good in Africa. Come on, <laughs> that's something to attain to. A continent of very powerful preachers. And, uh, and so, thank you, God, for the Sabbath. Thank you. That, 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 I want to taste that. I want to see the goodness that you've given in the Shabbat. I want to I lay a hold of that in my life. I want the sweetness of the gift in time that you give to us. Woo! You, you prophesy. You are a house of Hope that speaks to the loss and it speaks to the body in this area concerning the future that's good and that it's that he wins and that he establishes order and he establishes a full expression of who he is in all the earth. I want to I want to tell you, prophesy, testify, speak of these things, not just by your words, 
I, you know, I, I know that sometimes we, we have the, we, the Lord has invested much into our movement and he's in the area of teaching and understanding of the scriptures. And often we want to give to people all that we've learned and they can't handle it. They, you know, it's like you, we're just trying to stuff it in. But live it before them. Don't stuff it in. Live it before them. Live it, say, this Sabbath thing, it's not just something I'm going to tell you about and then do something different. I'm going to live within the creativity of God. I'm going to live within the opportunity to encounter him face to face like in the garden and encounter him like in the future of his promise for us in the age to come. The second thing that Yeshua spoke concerning the Sabbath was from, we can read, is in the next verse. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. I love this because Yeshua referred to himself as the Son of Man. So he was declaring right there in, 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 in the only the way that he could it's the, instead of just saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, he says, the son of the man, son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And it was like catching the people off guard as the light dawns upon them. Those who understood who he was, it was evident right away. For those that didn't, it didn't diminish who he was in his presence. And so he was amazing to be able to teach in that way. And so the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. He was saying that I am the final authority on how you are to observe, how you are to keep the Sabbath. After all, it was, he was the one on, on Sinai, the angel of the Lord. It says the finger of God, angel of the Lord, inscribed in the stone those commandments concerning the Sabbath. He was there, John places him in John chapter 1, in Genesis chapter 1, as the Word. He was, Yeshua was the Word. He was the light. He was the Savior to come. And He was the one who spoke creation to existence. He was the one there who was, that spoke the Sabbath into existence in the very first place. So we, they could say, ah, oh, but you know, we interpreted Moses this way. And He says, I was there at creation. I was the one who was there when my finger wrote in the stone these very words for you. And if they would hear it, they would be written upon their hearts as in the new covenant that day. They would understand He is the Lord of the Sabbath. We fulfill the Sabbath by following His instructions. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Yeshua, the Son of Man, is Lord of the Sabbath. And His third statement is chapter 3. Let's, let's just keep reading. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. It's so messed up. It doesn't even make sense if you think about it. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, to the people that were watching, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill, but they kept silent. And when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, because here was a man right in their presence who they knew, who was in need of healing. And they didn't speak up for their own because of an interpretation of the law. They were under that rather than seeing the one of their own had the opportunity in front of the Messiah to be healed that day. He was filled with anger and he was grieved in his heart. This is strong. It's not just, uh, so, you know, it's not just something that, you know, he just mentions. No, Yeshua was 
filled with anger and he was grieved in his heart at the hardness of their hearts because there was a man in need of healing right there. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? This speaks to justice. He's not just a suffering servant, but he's a conquering king. And there's anger in his heart when we harden our hearts to his ways and to his order. And Yeshua was thinking about his original design. And he said, on this day, on the Sabbath of all days of the week, should be a day when you would expect to be restored to creation before sin came. He knew their hearts and they were focused on the wrong things. And here was an opportunity to demonstrate the restoration that Messiah brings. Justice. Goodness is the expression of the heart of God. Is perfectly displayed on the Sabbath. There's not a more opportune time. Yeshua loved to heal people on the Sabbath. That for me, I mean, that inspires me. I've prayed for a lot of people to get healed, and some of them have. Not all of them have, but I'm thinking maybe my chances are better because he loved to do it on the Sabbath because it spoke of something greater to those that were watching and listening. So I look for opportunities on the Sabbath particularly to step out and pray for the sick, for people to be restored in their bodies, to be restored inside of their hearts and to be restored, set free from the bondage of the enemy. Cast out demons, heal the sick, see souls brought into the kingdom. The Sabbath is a perfect time to do it. I think if we want to talk about priorities, if you're so concerned about your rest time, your day of rest, if you have an opportunity to preach the gospel, if you have an opportunity to heal the sick, you can choose another day to take your nap and to get your rest and to get your creative expression. Do what Yeshua did. Partner together with Yeshua. Partner, he, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He, by his example, he shows us a higher way. Am I stepping on anybody's toes? He showed a higher way. He's the boss. He's the man. He's the one who gives the greatest example for us. Everything that came through Moses, the prophet, was to point the way to Yeshua. It was, it was to be, Paul said, a tutor. It was to teach the people of Israel and the nations that watched Israel as a priest nation of who Messiah would be and what he would do in the earth. He is the greatest authority. He speaks louder than any other concerning how we live out the Sabbath. Thank you, Lord. He just gives us three things here to look at. Pretty simple. It's not a heavy burden. Come to me. If you're weary, heavy laden, my yoke is easy. My burden is like, come up under that yoke of Yeshua with him. His teaching of how to live out the gospel. It will fill your heart with joy, oppression from the past. Ways of thinking will be broken off in a moment. We need it. Some of us in here, we need to be set free from wrong ways of thinking. I, I, we honor our heritage in the Lord. My family comes, is, uh, is, comes from a long line of rabbis from Lithuania. 
We have a heritage of rabbis and cantors in my family. We respect and honor that. That our, our family goes back to the, Le- to the Levite tribe. And we respect that heritage in the Lord. But let me tell you, if we miss looking at our history, at whom our Messiah is, and what he says, that that has to be the priority. You're Messianic Jews. I'm a Messianic Jew. We're Messianic first. The Messiah in us is the greatest expression and testimony in the earth. And then we live out our calling and our heritage as Jewish people that's unique, but it points back to the Messiah, the son of David, the root and offspring of David. God looked upon all of creation and he said it's good, but he looked at a man, Adam, and he said it's very good. That should be our perspective. He said in, in one of the other Gospels, if your sheep were, I can't remember what the animal were to fall into a ditch, would you not save him out of that ditch? And at that point, he was saying, your perspective is wrong. If you would do that to creation, how much more should you do that to your fellow brother who is in need of healing? If you have a need for healing in your life today, physical, emotional, if there's something, Yeshua, the Messiah, is here to touch you. He loves to do it. It's his delight. It's his joy. It's a fullness of Shabbat Shalom. (laughs) On the Sabbath, just as we're teaching, as we're speaking, receive your healing today. Walk in your healing today. There's restoration. His word comes with such a truth that it pierces through the lies of wrong patterns of thinking, bringing clarity, pulling back confusion in our lives to what's the main point and the focus of what he wants to get at in the hearts of his people. Receive your healing today. Yeshua is here and he loves to heal upon the Sabbath. In this also, he was highlighting that in the law, there are moral aspects and there are civil aspects. There, there, there are moral aspects have a greater weight to them. There are weightier issues of the law than the civil aspects. And it's because of this. The moral aspects of the law are direct representation of his character and his nature of who he is. The civil aspects help us to understand who he is. They get us there. They're the tradition and, and the things that, that, that we live, that we pass down generation to generation that are precious to us. It's not to belittle at all. But there are weightier matters of the law. And that, that means there are lighter matters of the law too. And he was elevating the moral aspect. Your brother here is in need of healing. Stretch out your hand. Be restored to Eden. Be restored to my original tent. I was there at the beginning. I want to be here with you today. Be healed. And so we can speak with Messiah, carrying his yoke with him, and speak and say, be you healed in the name of Yeshua, the Lord of the Sabbath. Hallelujah. So we have the meaning and the significance at the giving of the Torah, of Yeshua's first coming. And then thirdly, in the, in the last point I want to bring, in the age to come. This is our hope. This is what stirs me. I I preach different messages, but I always find myself orienting back to the second coming of God. I always find myself oriented back. The world is in need of a message of hope. There are people, it doesn't take a prophet, it doesn't take a counselor or someone with discernment to see the hopelessness, the the depression and the despair. And even in the midst of God's people. But we are called Beit Tikva. I'm owning it with you because I'm, I'm in the house today. Beit Tikva. 
house of hope. There is a testimony to be able to speak forth and declare from our lives together of the coming of the Lord. The Sabbath is not only remembrance, but it's a picture of the age to come when we will live in constant peace and joy in the presence of our Messiah. Let's turn to one last scripture, Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah is so poetic. I I, I love the book of Isaiah. It really speaks to, I guess, that creative part of my heart. But the way that he expresses the prophetic word is with such beauty. And so I just want to read this and speak it over us as the hope, the orientation of our heart. This is the age of rest that's to come. This is the new creation where we'll be full of joy, the blessing, fruitfulness, and fulfillment. It's coming for us. Verse 17 of Isaiah 65. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, a joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant in another eat. For as the days of, the, of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offering and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. When we celebrate the true meaning of Sabbath, we are living the message of hope, declaring the coming of Messiah and his glorious new creation. We look back to Eden, the place of delight. We look forward to the garden city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, the city of peace, the city of restoration that will be a praise in all the earth and will be the example for the whole world in that day. This is the hope that we live with. Thank you, Lord. We delight in your Shabbat.